When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to Widow 180, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. Today's episode is sponsored by our brand new dating workshop. It's called the Where Can I Meet a Guy Workshop for Widows. As you know, we are finally coming out of a crazy couple of years where being caught up in a global pandemic made it extremely difficult to meet people. And now that we can get out to meet people, we have no idea where to go. Don't worry, I can help. Sign up today for this free workshop, the Where Can I Meet a Guy Workshop for Widows. Go to widow180.ck.page forward slash meet a guy. That's widow180.ck.page forward slash M-E-E-T-A-G-U-Y. Find that link in the show notes today and join us on August 1st. I can't wait. Now let's get to today's episode. Good afternoon, listeners. I am so glad you're joining us today and listening today for this interview with the awesome Susan Hannafin McNabb. Sorry, I missed <laughs> That's okay. It's a long last Susan name. It's McNabb. got lots of parts. Susan is a social worker, an educator, a mom, and the author of the award-winning book, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. She also started a podcast recently. I love it. I love all of it. And I can't wait for, for Susan to fill us in with everything that she's doing, all these amazing things that you're doing. Susan, I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited. Well, thanks for having me, Jen. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. So I do want to just jump right in and, um, and have you tell us how you met your husband and what life was like for you guys when you met Brent. Oh, what life was like? Well, gosh, I was 24, Brent was 26, and we met at a local gym. Um, the YMC, one of the YMCA's here in San Diego, and um, it's the greatest job for a 20-something-year-old because I was behind the gym desk, and all of the guys had to come talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Brent was one of the guys. I was like, oh, this is great. You had so, a good plan, huh? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so we met at the gym and, and that kind of began our life of adventure and athletics and doing everything outdoors. Um, we were living here in San Diego. Um, we eventually moved to the Northwest. Um, we moved to Hawaii and Brent got his master's and PhD in international business which then took us from Hawaii to Canada and Australia. 
all so, the horrible places in the world. I know. I know. <laughs> so we what? it was kind yes. of life. Wow. Very wow. uh full of adventure and um and athletics and outdoor travel and and then our son was born, uh, Jacob was born when we were in Australia. Oh. So yeah. So I, you know, I was a social worker and educator and Jacob was, a, uh, Jacob was born in Australia and Brent was a professor and we just, you know, we bopped around the world for a while and, and had many adventures. That sounds like an amazing life. So fun. Okay. So tell us what happened to Brent. Yeah. So we were transitioning back to the U.S., and Jacob and I had come back to San Diego first. And we just, you know, we're just coming back to resettle in our home country. Um, Brent came about a month later. So he was here for about a month. It was right around Father's Day time that he came over. And a month later on July 15th, he went out for a drive to the local mountains, uh, like I mentioned, we were very outdoorsy and adventurous. So he went for a drive and never returned. He did not return for dinner, did not return for breakfast and was missing in action for two weeks. Oh so God. what do you do with that? Right. I mean, what do does anyone do with a missing person's story? I mean, that was something I heard about on TV that was never supposed to be my life. No. You had two weeks of nothing, no right. answers, and your husband is missing. And so what are the thoughts? I can't imagine. What are the thoughts running through your head? Well, you know, everything under everything under the sun. Everything. Yeah. But really, it was it was so much about I have a five year old. Right. I mean, yeah. what? Wh how am I going to handle this bizarre situation, very surreal situation, very scary situation, very traumatic situation with a child in tow. So we actually moved in with my parents for a while. They're, they're not far from here, five miles from here, just to keep some normalcy and structure for my son. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then of course I filed a missing persons report with the police department and my father hired a private detective. And two weeks later, on our wedding anniversary, I got a knock on the door from the medical examiner. And they found Brent's body and his vehicle down in a kind of a ravine area near this beautiful lake near where he was adventuring. And, um, and it was a nature photographer who was actually in that area and who saw a car, you know, a vehicle down below. And, um, oh and that was it. I mean, hello, happy wedding anniversary. And oh my so God. I had somebody say to me once, well, who was the perfectionist? Was it you or Brent? And I said, well, it was kind of me. And she goes, well, how perfectly awful is that, right? To end, to begin and end on this anniversary date. Yes. And so, my anniversary date then became the day that I was now widowed and raising a child solo. Yes. Oh God, it's sickening. That's it just um <clears throat> Yeah, no words, right? There are no words. No, no. And yet so many of us have stories like 
not exactly like mine, but everyone has a different story and there are no words for right. the, the, the live, you know, the lives and the stories that, um, and the experiences that some of us have had to endure. Speaking of no words. Okay. What did you tell Jacob? Well, fortunately his dad was a professor of international business. So dad was always traveling. We were always traveling. And so it just became, you know, and dad was only here for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jacob and I were here for a long time before his dad. And so it was just, you know, dad is traveling. And he was, we just didn't know where. So right. all the five-year-old needs to know is, you know, oh, dad's yeah. traveling. Okay. So for him to be not around, that was kind of the norm yeah so yeah we did a ton of travel and a ton of back and forth and international living and so it that just made sense yes and that gave you a little time to prepare for what to say well not even at that point during those two weeks there was no preparing to say anything it was just where the hell is he Right. right i mean people that have a missing person it's like you're in this surreal place until that person is found whatever the end result is there's just this you're you're not even in real time yeah so yeah yeah. um so in that two weeks you tried to stay busy uh, doing other things you did you you um you had gone to the gym you said just to kind of Well, one of my, you remember I met Brent at a gym. So exercise and being at a gym was normal and I needed some things that were just normal and made sense. So that made sense every morning. I I would always get up and exercise. So on these mornings I went to the gym and, and just kind of floated through what was a completely abnormal time. But during that uh, time, I met a woman in a small group training class named Robin. And Robin and I just didn't know each other, but it was kind of like, hi, how was your weekend? And she said, oh, it was good. I took my kids to SeaWorld. And I said, oh, do you have monthly passes? And she said, we actually have yearly passes. I thought, year how do you get a year i mean a life she said lifetime she said we have lifetime passes to sea world and i thought how do you get that and she said well my husband died four years ago when the kids were nine and eleven and he used to work uh, for sea world and heiser bush and so we have lifetime passes so unbeknownst to me you know i didn't know i'd be widowed two weeks later but um this woman coincidentally or not happened to be in my class and told me her story so two weeks later when i was then in her shoes raising a young child as a widowed person i reached out to her right away and she has been by my side as a peer mentor now for the last 10 years wow right like you said coincidence or not yeah that's people come into your life at the time when they're supposed to be there for sure for sure um so you mentioned that you had family nearby also to help you because you were you were new back in that area I mean you hadn't lived there that long so but you did have your family close by 
Right. So I grew up here in San Diego and then I moved away for 15, 18 years. When I came back, I had a couple girlfriends, but my parents were the main ones who were the supporters. They're just five miles down the road. So uh, would not be here if not for them. Ah, ditto. My parents were the same for me. You called them parent two and parent three. I do. Oh my gosh. I had the same same experience. I mean, I, I, I leaned on them for so much, so much. Uh, what about work? Did you go back to work? Well, we had just moved here. Yeah. So I was looking into, um, you know, part-time jobs. And so that when Brent came back, he would be the full-time person at work and I'd be the part-time and manage the child person. Um, so I wasn't in a full-time work situation. Okay. I was in a, uh, you know, a tra- we were in transition. We had no car, no house, no job, no community, like completely starting over or yes. almost starting over. So I didn't have to jump back into a work uh, a workplace. And, and that also helped me because I was able to take time and start pounding the pavement here in San Diego, looking for tools and resources that would help my son and I heal. And that's how the book and all the work I do and my involvement with Soaring Spirits and the podcast and all those things came to be. Yes. So let's talk about how your friend Robin was trying to convince you to go to Camp Widow. Pretty much, was it like the month after or shortly after? Well, so Brent died in the summer and Camp Widow San Diego is always in the summer. So I had met Robin and this had happened. And the next week was Camp Widow San Diego. So Robin went on her own and she brought back some items for me. And one was a little plaque and I forgot it's downstairs. It says something like, you know, um, maybe the stars are all of our people shining down on us, something like that. And she told me about this camp widow thing. Well, I was completely grieving and traumatized. So I put that aside. Well, the next year comes around and she says, would you like to go to camp widow with me this year? And I said, absolutely not. That sounds awful. (laughs) I do not want to be a widowed person. And what is camp widow? Right. Um, but I was so desperate for any anything that that could possibly help. I went and it was the greatest thing I ever did and the greatest place I never wanted to be. And, and that experience there pretty much altered the trajectory of my my widowed experience and my healing. I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.
to just this little three-day weekend or whatever it was at that time, four-day weekend, it's changed a weekend, your yes. life, changed your life. You told me, you said you had three thoughts after that. One, I'm not alone. Two, if they can all do it, I can do it. And then three, get your people together. And sometimes you have to be the one to build it. So after you went to Camp Widow, you said you got in touch with, um, what is her name again? I got in touch with the CEO of Soaring Spirits International. Her name is Michelle Neff Hernandez. Michelle Neff Hernandez. Okay. Yeah. So I emailed her and I, I realized, you know, Camp Widow, Camp Widow is this bubble, right? You've got two to 400 widowed people in one place. When does that ever happen? Never. So I knew I needed other widowed people to survive this. And when Camp Widow was over, I had Robin, but that I needed more. So I emailed Michelle and I said, thank you for the Camp Widow weekend. And do you have any resources here in San Diego? Because I really need more widowed people here. She said, well, I don't because I'm in Simi Valley in the Los Angeles area, but we are going to be starting regional social groups, which are little mini peer support networks in local communities. Would you like to start one in San Diego? And again, I thought there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. But out of pure desperation, right. I said, okay, fine. And then I got Robin involved. So Robin yeah. and I started the San Diego chapter of Soaring Spirits International Regional Social Group. And um, that was in 2013. And it is still going strong with hundreds of members and hundreds of widowed people that have come through the San Diego Regional Group. That is amazing. So when you have the meetings, are they, are they once a month? And... Where well, interesting meetings. Right. So interestingly enough, I've come full circle. Now I work for Soaring Spirits International as their programs and education manager. And my main job is to manage the regional social groups all across Canada, the U.S. and Europe. Cool. And so all of these groups are run by volunteer widowed facilitators who offer two meetings per month either live or virtual. Yes. Okay. And we now have um, 117 regional group leaders and 70 regional social groups. Wow. Yes. And anyone can find that information if they go to soaringspirits.org and look under virtual programs or online um, in-person programs, click on regional groups and you'll see the whole list of all the groups and all of our leaders. What an amazing resource. I mean, Soaring yeah. Spirits is an amazing resource for anyone widowed. There's so much going on and, and we can go into that at some point if you'd like. <laughs> yes, I do. I want to hear all of the things that, that they offer. But then I also want to go back to you had a year between when you found when you went to Camp Widow. So in that first year, is that when you spent that time? Um, sort of taking on this self-healing and looking into resources. And that's when you said that you were looking into resources for you and for your son. Um, and you found books, you found therapy, you were finding all of these different tools to help you guys, correct? 
Correct. Okay. So yes. Um, I mean the, the day after Brent died, I had a therapist at the house. I mean, she came mm. to the house and because I am a social worker, I'm comfortable in the world of therapy and therapeutic healing. And because I was an educator, I knew what I needed to give my child. Um, and, and it just, you know, I was determined, I was traumatized and grief stricken. Yes. But I was also determined eventually to give my son a childhood and give him a life. And I was the only one who was capable of doing that. So it began, you know, this therapist led me to that therapist. I knew about trauma therapies like EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. I knew about sand play therapy. I knew about cognitive behavioral therapy. I knew about narrative restructuring. I mean, I knew about these things because I had a social work background. So I went looking for things specifically and in that also other things came to me by coincidence or accidents that I hadn't necessarily gone out to look for. Okay. So you started putting all of these things together? All of these resources, all of the tools, um, animals, animal therapy, why does that work? You know, my son is at a therapist too, and that animal is calming everyone down. What's the deal with that? Like, what's the physiology about that? What is, what's going on, right, internally for humans when we're with animals? B became breath work. I can't even breathe. My husband used to play the bagpipes. Why can't I even get any air? I mean, this is ironic. So yeah. all of these tools, just um, I started gathering them. And because I'm an organized teacher type, I put them in a three ring binder. Mm-hmm. And of course, the binder had to have some organization to it. So it became A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, you know, all yeah. the way to letter Z. Yeah. And um, then when I started running these uh, regional social group peer mentor gatherings for Soaring Spirits, we would all talk, you know, all the widowed people who came, we'd talk about, well, do you have a therapist? What are you doing? We mm-hmm. were sharing resources and I would share some of this material that was in my binder. And yeah. eventually that led me to present the information at a workshop at the following Camp Widow the next year. And everybody in that room looked at me and said, where did you get this information? You really should put all of this into a book. Yes. And again, I said, there's no way I'm doing that. You're crazy. <laughs> but eventually. But you have already done it. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, right. I mean, it was the gathering of the information. Right. Right. I had the information, but it was, you know, putting it all into a book and also telling your story and structuring it and gathering, um, you know, snippets of stories from other people that had used certain healing tools. That was a whole other ball of wax. So, ah. um, so you yes. put together the book and it's practical tools, it's strategies for what to do, how to kind of, it's self healing or what to seek, really, a direction. Sure, sure. So it's a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention, meaning intentionally, you're going to choose some of these tools, start somewhere. Are you a journaler? Okay, go to chapter J, journaling. You can journal written word, or you can journal pictorially, which is what a lot of people who've had trauma experiences can do first, because it's a right brain modality which is easier, you know, we can access the right side of our brain easier 
with trauma, you know, the left side is for reason, logic, order, and nothing was logical or reasoned or ordered in my situation. So that's letter J. Are you a meditator? Are you an exerciser? You know, there are 26 tools to cover everybody. You know, start somewhere is what I say. Start with what uh, makes sense to you or you just feel comfortable with. So out of the 26, what was like the most helpful for you? What did you end up leaning on the most? Um, Well, initially, right, I was already at the gym when Brent was missing. So Mm -hmm. I always go to S, which is slide into exercise. I always go exercise and I always go nature. Um, Letter U, chapter U is utilize nature. So nature and exercise. I mean, I was out kayaking. I was rollerblading. I was hiking because nothing else made sense to me, except I need to move. And Brent and I used to do this together and this, and also I'll get all these endorphins. Um, So exercise was first and then close on the heels of that was therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. Letter C in the book is counseling. So counseling therapy, sand play therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, signing up for therapeutic groups, all of that stuff, EMDR therapy uh, with a trauma therapist, somatic mm-hmm. experiencing. Um, and in the book, there are little definitions of all these types of therapies because not everybody knows about them all. Right. And that's why I'm so excited to have you here today <laughs> because we talk about this a lot in, in the widow community, in our widow community too. Like we're often talking about trauma, um, and the trauma aspect that we go through, if it's a sudden loss, sometimes there's a sudden loss where it's right in front of you. It happens right in front of somebody and they have to um, give CPR. And so there's the trauma from that experience that they had. Or if there's, there's trauma involved in the case of an illness where we watch our loved ones suffer and we have yes. that image in our head. So grief and trauma, oftentimes go hand in hand, but they are different. Um, yes. And can you kind of talk to us a little bit about that and your, I mean, through your experience and through all of your research and your knowledge of all of this stuff, um, some of the differences between grief and trauma and yes. how they are related as well. Okay. So I like to start out by having everyone picture a Venn diagram. And if you don't remember algebra and what a Venn diagram is, picture two hula hoops, right? Big hula hoops, and and they're overlapping, right? So two circles, and there's an overlapping part in the middle. On one side, one circle is grief, one side is trauma. So they have their differences, but there's this intersecting space as well. And that's where many of us fall that have a traumatic loss experience. So grief, I thought, well, my husband died, I'm grieving. Okay, but nightmares, flashbacks, a nervous system that has been completely derailed, an eye twitch, wanting to vomit almost all day long. These are not traditional grief symptoms or reactions. These are traditional trauma reactions. So trauma embeds itself into our nervous system 
and our nervous system, our heart rate, our breath rate, our um, level of jumpiness or twitchiness or on guardness, right? That goes through the roof. So I always say, to, you know, I grew up in a military family and I used to think, okay, trauma equals war veterans. Like those are the, that's the only group that should be allowed to say they have trauma. And that wasn't me, right? I wasn't in a war, but I was in my own war. Yeah. And you've been in your war. And, and, and so trauma, there are a lot of people walking around with trauma symptoms and, and un, unhealed trauma, right? So, I mean, I'll just go through briefly what some grief reactions are and mm-hmm. what some trauma reactions are. And, and if we were in person, um, this is how I do it. I have probably 35 to 40 grief reactions and trauma reactions covering the floor. And everyone in the workshop is given a little baggie of bingo chips. So you get red bingo chips for the grief reactions and you get yellow bingo chips for the trauma reaction. So we've got yellow and red papers covering the floor. And at first it's overwhelming, like what is all this? Mm-hmm. But when you see how many people are putting down chips on these different common reactions for grief and trauma, you realize I'm not alone. Yeah. And it's, it's so important to normalize grief reactions and trauma reactions so we know okay this doesn't feel good but it's normal so grief can be you know reactions can be physical emotional spiritual mental social and behavioral and so all of those would be spread out of the floor right shallow breathing rapid breathing um, sobbing uncontrollably not able to cry at all right it runs the gamut Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trauma. So trauma reactions can be similar, but there are also a couple other markers for trauma. And those people who are in the mental health field might have might know about or have heard about what's called the DSM. It's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for common um, quote disorders. It's a mental health manual that is used to diagnose certain um, mental health challenges, right? So post-traumatic stress is in that book. And I looked in that book and I was looking at all the markers for post-traumatic stress and I had them all. So there there are two questions that are in this book, the A to Z Healing Toolbox book under the trauma chapter. And the two questions are this, were you exposed to an event that involved actual or threatened death, serious injury, or a threat to the physical safety of yourself or another? In my case, yes. In your case, maybe yes. In so many cases, yes. And then the next question is, did your response to the event involve intense fear, helplessness, or horror. Again, yes. Yep. Yep. And so those two questions are embedded in the DSM manual. And I've pulled them over here onto uh, the A to Z Healing Toolbox book. So people can 
actually do a worksheet in the book, you know, yes or no, yes or no. And then here are all the common trauma reactions. And in the previous chapter, all the common grief reactions. And I have people circle or drop a poker chip, right? I mean, a bingo yeah. chip, drop a, drop a chip on whichever reactions are true for you. And we all stand there in that conference room around all of these bingo chips and say, oh my gosh, I am not alone. This is normal. Okay, it doesn't feel good. Maybe our nervous systems are completely derailed and our person's not here. Okay, now what? Right, mm -hmm. it's normalized. It's normal, right? Other people are feeling this way too. And now what? So exactly. the book is really the now what? It's like 20% what happened and how are you feeling and coping? And 80%, okay, now what are you going to do? Intentionally, here are 26 different tools, resources, stories, um, websites, books, all the things for people can so people can then act on their own healing. Yes. Oh God, this is such a great resource. It really is. And just for that awareness, because this is how stupid I am. So you said like, nobody ever said to you that you were traumatized, you know, and the same thing happened to me. I, it was years later, like years when I finally, I was seeing a therapist and she told me that I had PTSD. It was so in passing. We were just talking and she said, well, you know, I mean, when somebody has PTSD, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about me and I, I was like, oh my God, I have That's PTSD. Why. This makes total sense. And how did I not know that or think of that or realize that until years later? Of course. Of right. course I am traumatized. And then, right. and then, you know, okay, what do I do with that information? You know, now what am yes. I, what am I supposed to do about it? What can I do about it? Yes. Where, where do I turn? You know, like I can, mm -hmm. I can talk to other widows, which I did have that in my life. Thank God I had that, but these practical tools and strategies and things that we can do to work on or turn to. Um, so, so amazing and needed. Yes. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I was definitely, I was adamant about including the trauma piece in the book because there's so many of us who have a widowed story or bereaved parent story or bereaved sibling story or whatever. And we go, okay, well, society tells us we're grieving. Well, we're also sometimes traumatized. So that, that's an important piece too, because there are certain therapies, let's say, that work well for trauma. And there are certain ones that, you know, work for grief, but yes. they're not one and the same often. And the EMDR that you mentioned earlier, that is for trauma. That's to Correct. address that. Okay. Correct. So that therapy was coined by a woman named Francine Shapiro back in the 1970s. She was seeing a lot of Vietnam veterans come back completely traumatized. And she came up with a way to, um, it, so EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. 
So by moving the eyes in a bilateral move motion, left, right, left, right, right? So let's say I'm your EMDR therapist. I would ask if you to, or invite you to follow my fingers and my fingers are moving right, left, right, left. And as that's happening, your trauma image is being recalled. And now what we're doing by the bilateral movement is we're, we're desensitizing those images in your head and we're, we are reprocessing them to a different part of the brain. So what happens is these disturbing images can be pushed to a different part of the brain that's not so accessible. And it doesn't take years for this to happen. Um, so I recommend or invite people to give EMDR, you know, a few tries and, and see if that helps to push images back further in the brain. Yes, I can recall images if I really try, but it's harder. So I don't do it. I'm able to function now without seeing those memories over and over and those images over and over in my head. Does that work for, you know, um, I mean, this is a silly question, I guess, but if you were not present there when your person passed away, so, you know, if you were in a car accident and you experienced that with them and you were there um, and you have all of the trauma from that, or if you lost your person, they were in a, a single car, you know, car accident, they were miles away from you. You don't have that image of exactly what happened because you weren't there. So you kind of fill in the blanks of what you think, what happened. And so EMDR does help with that too, right? There are are imaginations that go wild. So the mind, uh, uh, one of my therapists actually says the mind is a meaning making machine. The mind Mm -hmm. makes up stories and fills in the gaps automatically. And so I wasn't present when Brent died that day. I wasn't present for those two weeks when his body was out there in the summer sun, but any of us can fill in the blanks on that. And so EMDR helps with the image that you saw real time or the images that you conjured up in your own head about what you think could have or should have or would have happened. Okay. Yep. All of it. Yes. That is um, a good explanation of that. Um, You also mentioned somatic experiencing. So what is that? So I didn't know about this modality, but it's a therapeutic modality that is um, body-based, somatic, soma, it's body-based, and it's very non-invasive, and it was coined by um, a man named Dr. Peter Levine, who was actually years and years ago, decades ago, watching animals in the wild. And if you picture for a minute, a rabbit being chased through the woods by a fox or a coyote. Mm -hmm. So the rabbit's running, 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 and he's being chased, 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 and he dives into a hollow log. And the fox or the coyote eventually wanders away. Now, what does that rabbit do in that hollow log? What do animals Mm -hmm. do after they've been traumatized? They shake, mm-hmm. they, they shake it off. 
They shake it out and shake it off. Do humans do that? Absolutely not. We lock it in and there it stays. And so Dr. Peter Levine has written many books about how to release trauma from the body in non-invasive ways, as in somatic experiencing. So when I found a somatic somatic experiencing practitioner, it was simply going to her office. Um, It's laying on what looks like a massage table. Mm-hmm. And it's this energy exchange. So her training allowed her to help my body release trauma. And it sounds very woo-woo, as my as my uh, family members would say. Like, it, it sounds very out there. Like, how does that actually work? Yeah. But there are, there's a lot of research behind it. Um, there are actually... Uh, vibrations that you can create yourself to release trauma from your body. Uh, For instance, um, there's a type of breath work called vibrational breath work or vibrational breathing. And it's simply inhaling through the nose and exhaling the word vu as long as you can. And that vu is vibrating your body. And over time, that can release trauma from the body as well. So for those folks who are listening and haven't heard of somatic experiencing, I would recommend checking it out. You can go online, somatic experiencing, Dr. Peter Levine, um, check out EMDR therapy, um, Dr. Francine Shapiro, um, very, very well utilized tools for helping release trauma. Yes. So you and I, when we were talking um, the other day, we were talking about how trauma stays with us. I mean, we're, if, we, if we're doing all of these things, are we really, quote, fixed? You know, I, does it, is there anything, like if we do all of these things, is it just going to go away? You know, like, is there ever an end to it? I guess that's my question. Is, yeah. is, there, is well, there an end to this, you know? Right. Well, I think, I mean, it begs the question, if we look at grief, which is sometimes easier to wrap your brain around, right? Are we ever done grieving? Well, I'll be done grieving when Brent decides to stop being dead. Yeah. Like that's when I'll be done. And does it change over time? Yes. Have I done a lot of work? So it's not as painful and emotional every day. Yes. But is that, still there for me? Yes. I mean, this summer will be the 10 year anniversary of Brent's death. My, our son just finished his first year of high school. Did I cry on his last day of high school? Yes. Why? Because that grief and that loss and that profound emptiness is still there. Whether I repartner or not, whether I have more children or not, it doesn't matter that whole, right? The vase was broken. And you can glue different parts back and make a beautiful vase again, but it's a different one. So similarly uh, with trauma, I mean, I've done a ton of trauma work. And when there's a seasonal change or when I hear of somebody missing in person or if I see a dead animal on the road or if it's Halloween and I see skeletons out, uh, those Mm -hmm. trigger my trauma 
now can I handle it better than I used to? Yes. Do I know how to breathe my way? And do I know different breathing techniques now to calm my nervous system down? Yes. Do I know what my triggers are? Mm. Yes. So, you know, I don't know that any of these things are going to fully be extinguished, right? They're embedded in us now, but I do believe that we can learn how to manage much, much better with what we've been given. Yes. Yes. I know. It's the trauma is going to be there. The grief is going to be there. Um, But it's just a matter of how we manage it, how we can, what we can do to, um, to manage those triggers, those triggering moments. Yeah. And like you said, you're coming up on your 10 year, your 10 years being a widow. Are you looking back and thinking, oh my God, it's been 10 years. Like, look at all that I have done. Look at my life. Look how far I've come. But are you also like, God, it just feels like yesterday. Do you have this mixed emotion? (laughs) It's such a good, such a good question. I think time for me has just gotten really surreal. Sometimes it, it just, it feels like it was last week and other times it feels like this has been forever, you know? Mm. Um, But to, you know, to answer your first question, I was just saying to a friend this morning, I was recapping my son's freshman year in high school and he just did wonderfully. He's thriving. He's balanced. He's doing awesome. And I said, you know, yay for him, but also yay for me. And he goes, you're right. Yay for you, mom. (laughs) And I just think that, you know, kids of widowed people fare well when the widowed person is okay or, or has gotten help for themselves and can then help the child, right? With community support or school therapy or love. I mean, all the things, right? All the things. So I do look back. I have been looking back at the last 10 years and going, holy cow, I've gone from hell to here. And here is an awesome place. And it's different. Yes, my life is very different than the life I would have had if I was still with Brent. But I've worked my way into a new life. I have a wonderful child. I have a wonderfully supportive community. 90% of them never met Brent. Mm. They're widowed people or bereaved parents or whoever I've met in the last 10 years here. Yeah. Um, but it, it takes a lot of work and it also takes a, a lot of you know time pausing and giving yourself or giving oneself kudos for getting up every day and doing all the things that can get you to a different, better place. Absolutely. We need to pat ourselves on the back more than we do. We don't, we don't give ourselves that credit, right? Yes. I'm huge on self-care. That's actually a chapter in the book. (laughs) Yeah. So what's the biggest change that you've seen in yourself in the last 10 years? Having been through everything that you've been through. Yeah. There've been so many, you know, and I always think externally, right. There's a difference between the external me and the internal me externally. 
I look pretty similar. You know, I still go to the gym. I still have long brown hair. I'm still five foot nine, maybe a little shorter now. Um, <laughs> so I look similar externally, but yeah. internally so many changes. And I think one that I've noticed lately is just my, my ability to be present focused is way more, more better, as they say in Hawaii, more better. It's, it's more in tune now than ever, uh, my ability to be present minded instead of digging up the past or wondering, you know, where I'm going to be in five years. I don't yeah. know. And that's okay now. Yeah. I don't need to be over there, wherever there is. I'm here and I've created here and I try to relish here. So that's, that's a huge, um, that's a huge change. And then also I have always been somebody who doesn't have a problem creating boundaries for myself, but even more so, I only let people into my life who are going to be good for my soul. And when I work with widowed people, one of the first things I have them write down is whatever is good for my soul, do that. Yeah. Whatever is good for your soul, whoever is good for your soul, wherever is good for your soul, do that and go there. Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I come first, then my kid, everyone else needs to fall in line. Yeah. That's the order. And I don't apologize for that. Great advice. So is that, well, my last question was the, the biggest lesson that you've learned and you have done so much and you have educated yourself and educated hundreds of people on this, but the biggest lesson that you've learned in the last 10 years. The biggest lesson I've learned is that we cannot heal alone, nor are we supposed to heal alone. Healing takes place in community. It takes place with large communities, small communities, a therapist one-on-one. We're we're not supposed to do this thing by ourselves. And our society in the Western world is very focused on me, 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 I, I, I. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, In Hawaii, where Brent and I used to live, it's it's a very interdependent culture, right? It, it's everyone helping each other out. It's the spirit of aloha. It's what can we do for each other, for the land, for the sea. It's an all-encompassing community thing. And so that that is the biggest lesson that I've learned, just that we are not supposed to be doing this on our own. And there are so many resources out there. There's so many people to help. There's so many groups who can give support. So it's huge to find, find your people wherever they are. Oh my gosh. That was the first thing that I did within a week of losing my Brent. I found some people and that's what helped me get through everything. I mean, I don't know what I would have done without that. So Susan, you are a freaking rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I love that you have created this roadmap for people to follow and it's so needed. I love this example that you're setting for all of our listeners. They're going to have so many takeaways from this. Please tell everyone where we can find you and how we can work with you and your website. And you know what? We didn't get into the the soaring spirits um, 
and everything that's offered through them as well. So I know so many so, things. So I guess quickly I'll, I'll talk about Soaring Spirits and yeah. then give the other information. But Soaring Spirits is the global community for widowed people. And there are a variety of programs that Soaring Spirits runs. One is the one we spoke about earlier, the regional social group program. Another is the Camp Widow Weekend program, um, which Camp Widow is a three-day conference that happens in San Diego in the summer, Tampa in March, in Toronto in November. Then we have one-day pop-up camps that are happening. We have one in Denver that's happening in September and more to come. So there's also a widowed village online program with a newly widowed virtual call every Tuesday at three o'clock Pacific. Um, and all this information you can find on the Soaring Spirits website, which is soaringspirits.org. You can also go to campwidow.org or widowedvillage.org. They all lead back to the same place, which is Soaring Spirits International. Okay, so, I'll put all of those websites in, in the show notes. Everybody can click on that great. and find things there. Great. And yes. then as far as A to Z, um, <laughs> My website is a number two Z a to Z healing toolbox.com. There's an online toolbox there for free. People can click on and get lots of information. Um, I also run virtual groups for widowed people and bereaved parents all over the nation. Um, and I have solo clients as well. So you can find me at a2zhealingtoolbox.com. And the book is on the website. The book is also at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And again, it's called A2Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Here today. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Um, Yes. And uh, we will keep in touch and um, have a great rest of the evening. Thanks, Jen. You too. <laughs> All right, bye. Have you heard about our new workshop coming up August 1st? It's the Where Can I Meet a Guy workshop for widows. Don't forget to sign up and save your seat. Go to widow180.ck.page forward slash meet a guy. That's M-E-E-T-A-G-U-Y. That link is in the show notes. Now, here are the takeaways from Susan. Number one, Susan's husband Brent left one afternoon to go out for a drive and never returned. He was missing for two weeks. Brent's car was found at the bottom of a ravine. Number two, Susan met another widow named Robin who became her mentor and main support through the loss of her husband. Number three, Susan went to Camp Widow and said it was the best decision she'd ever made and the greatest place she never wanted to be at. Her going to Camp Widow altered the trajectory of her widow experience and her healing. Number four, Susan and Robin started the San Diego chapter of Soaring Spirits International Regional Social Groups. You can get more information about Soaring Spirits Regional Groups at soaringspirits.org. Number five, Susan collected resources that helped both her and her son, and she compiled everything into a book. It's the A to Z Healing Toolbox. It's a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Check out Susan's book at www.widow180.com forward slash products.
Number six, Susan tells us that grief and trauma often overlap depending on your circumstance. Number seven, EMDR is therapy for trauma. EMDR works for images that you saw in real time or for images that you've conjured up in your head about what you think happened. Number eight, grief and trauma never really go away, but we can better manage them with the tools and the resources available to us. Number nine, when Susan works with widows, she has them write down this, whatever is good for my soul, do that. Whoever is good for your soul, surround yourself with that. Wherever is good for your soul, be there. And number 10, the biggest lesson that Susan has learned is that we cannot heal alone, nor are we supposed to heal alone. Healing takes place with community. I loved this interview with Susan. I feel like I learned so much and so much about trauma, and I really hope that it helped you guys. So also remember that Soaring Spirits has regional social groups and Camp Widow weekends a few times a year. You can go to soaringspirits.org to get more information. And get Susan's book, A to Z Healing Toolbox, at widow180.com forward slash products. And you can also reach her and ask her about her coaching at a to z healing toolbox.com. That's A, the number two, and the letter Z. And you know, when Susan mentioned the biggest lesson that she's learned from losing her husband is that we can't heal alone and we're not meant to grieve alone. So if you would like to be a part of our widow community, the Widow Connection community, we would love to have you there. It's all about peer support, connection, being heard, having your feelings validated. I cannot say enough good things about this group. It's such an awesome group. You can sign up and join us every single week at www.widow180.com forward slash membership. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a kind review and a rating. We would really, really appreciate it. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.